1: Welcome to the Media
0: Podcast. I'm Ollie Mann. On today's show, Clarkson, Clarkson, Clarkson. Also on the show is the chair of the BBC Trust, pulling the plug on the BBC Trust. At the British Press Awards, we discuss the winners and losers. Plus, Snapchat. How did a genital sharing app get to be worth $15 billion? This is the Media Podcast, sponsored by Audioboom. And with me today at the Hospital Club is the media writer Maggie Brown. Welcome back to the show, Maggie.
2: Thank you, Ollie.
0: I understand you've been reviewing books recently.
2: Yes, I have. I've been uh, busily reading the new BBC history, Pinkos and Traitors, which I would recommend to anybody interested in the last time that they got rid of a a director general. But I also want to just give a little plug to a book that you won't have heard of, but a lot of people are interested in radio at the moment. Local Radio Going Global by Professor Guy Starkey of Sunderland University. Very good, well-written book, History of Local Radio and Where Commercial Radio Went So Wrong and Ceded the Past to the BBC.
0: A great recommendation. Thank you, Maggie. Also returning to the podcast, Faraz Osman, Managing Director at the TV Indie Lemonade Money. Hi, Faraz. Hey, Ollie. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Last time you were on the show, you were saying you were the creative director of Lemonade Money, and we tried to pick apart what that role meant, and now you've got a new job title. I know. You got me thinking, and I thought, (laughs) you know what? Why don't I just swap it out and see what happens and see
3: if my LinkedIn gets more hits as a result of that. It's, It's all SEO. That's all it's there for.
0: Well, as a result of being on the media podcast, we find that generally all of our pundits get more listeners swiping, right, so that'll be a good thing. Uh, Right, let's start this week with Clarkson. Of course, where else? Suspended by the BBC for what a spokesperson labelled a fracas. Such a BBC word. Uh, That may or may not have been a skirmish between the presenter and a Top Gear assistant producer. The Director General, Tony Hall, says he'll wait for an inquiry before passing judgment, but that hasn't stopped everyone else, has it Maggie? Uh, They've cancelled the last two programmes of the series, the live shows are now in doubt, Clarkson's contract is due up next month. You could interpret that as it looks like he's on the way out, but then people keep saying, but the show's worth so much money, that's never going to happen.
2: Well, there's two things, really, isn't there? We really don't know how seriously he, what the misdemeanour is. We're told he threw a punch because he was very hungry at at his producer. But that hasn't really been substantiated. And you get the impression, certainly from the reaction of the other two presenters, that it doesn't appear to have been what you might call a brawl or or anything which seems to have brought the BBC apparently into disgrace I, I, I mean I'm just saying what appears to be coming so we still seem I think to be somewhat in the dark about what he's actually done but the second, the other side of this is, whether or not Clarkson walks or not, this is an incredibly valuable show to the BBC. He is this very awkward thing, and it's called a star. You may not like him, in fact, look, you know, he's a Marmite star, but for many, many people, he really is somebody they tune into and they love to watch. I mean, I'm talking now about my son in particular. So you have a real problem when you have star quality because you... you, you that makes that person unique they can't be replaced and he does matter to the BBC in terms of its coverage because they are desperate all the time to appeal to men and to younger males and that is what Clarkson does and they have to have this reach throughout the whole of their audience else why are people paying the licence fee the other thing is, this week, the National Audit Office brought out their report into how the BBC was achieving the savings it's got to make, at £700 million a year by 2016-17. And one of the areas which is not working for it is its commercial side. Uh, only, I think, £5 million of the extra £22 million that it is expected to contribute, this is BBC Worldwide, has actually been delivered. And there is a real problem, because they are saying that they are not quickly enough building up shows which can be sold abroad and bring in this income. So From the BBC's commercial point of view, this would be a very difficult move for them because, in addition, they are having problems that they're 4% below where they should be anyway. So they they have a commercial gap um, in which this particular super brand does play a a really big role.
0: But OK, it highlights that weakness within BBC Worldwide, but, you know, using that as a defence for why possibly Clarkson should be retained if these allegations are true is sort of like the old Hollywood system of saying, you know, well, you hit someone with your car, but never mind, you can carry on being in our films because you're worth big money. It's a public service broadcasting organisation, isn't it, Faraz? If anyone else on the BBC staff, and I know he's a freelancer, but if anyone else on the BBC staff uh, did actually throw a punch at one of the producers, they they would be let go. I'm a
3: bit flummoxed about this whole story. You know, this is this broke, what, two days ago? It, it broke on the beginning of this week, and already we've managed to reveal the assistant producer or producer that, that was involved, and he's been splashed on the front pages of, of newspapers. Deplorably, we've had the Prime Minister weighed in about a comment about an ongoing investigation. The reality of this situation, as far as I'm concerned, is that one person in a workplace has been physically abusive to another person in a, in a workplace. Allegedly. That's, allegedly. That's, that seems to be the allegation. And the BBC are correct that they need to investigate that and make sure that they have a proper outcome and a proper process to, to deal with that matter. That's all that should be important right now. And I think what I'm really worried about is that we've, ha- we've gone through, and, and I'm not in any way suggesting that the two things are related, but we have gone through a period with Operation Tree where we've had stars at the BBC who have done things that are in- incredibly inappropriate. There are people that are worried about coming forward because, of, because those people are stars, and we've had these stories that have been hidden for, for God knows how many years, until people have, um, have passed away. Before we've even got to the end of the week, before we've even started the investigation properly, before that person has even come in, for, come, come in front of a committee to say, "Right, tell us your side of the story. And what's happened," we've already had people on Twitter saying, "He probably deserved it." We've had prime ministers saying, "Oh, my children love top gear, and I hope that it will all blow over." And we've had other presenters kind of saying, "Oh, well, this is just a little silly little thing, and we'll, we'll kind of see where it goes." I think this is really, really dangerous. You've got certain members of staff of an organization that are effectively, inverted commas, more powerful and therefore can Mm. get away with anything that they want and junior member staff start feeling worried about speaking about things where they should feel like they can do so appropriately and without any harm coming to them later on. That, to me, is a really worrying precedent that we're setting here.
0: And to take a less corrosive example than you, Tree, what about Saxgate? Uh, you look at what happened there. There was no case for Jonathan Ross to be maintained at the BBC. You know, people felt that there were so many complaints that that was what they had to do. Uh, and yet, of course, what happened? ITV swept in with a big money deal and he's still on ITV now. That's the real danger, isn't it, Maggie, for the BBC, is that if you were running ITV, would you be putting on a bet now to take Clarkson away?
2: Um, I think you might be. The reason is partly because ITV's factual side is, is, is doing so badly that it really does need some kind of oomph. And of course, male viewers are very, very valuable. And that's why, for example, ITV's reintroduced boxing as incredible but they'll probably do wrestling as well they're they're looking everywhere for um, male skewing uh, programming
0: Would it be such a big story for us if we hadn't had uh, what the uh, executive producer of Top Gear Andy Willman calls their Annas ribalis this year. You've had Argentina and what happened there. You've had the leaked footage of Clarkson appearing to use the N-word in the outtake. You've had uh, him using a derogatory term for Asians as part of a show that did make it to air. If all of those things hadn't built up, even though, as Maggie says, they're different, they're breaches of taste, but if all of that hadn't built up, would it be such a big story now that this one misdemeanour had happened?
3: Perhaps the reason this is a story is that people like having these stars fall down and it makes, it makes for good press and it makes for good stories but the thing for me is I hope it would be a big story, I hope that the BBC does take allegations of physical abuse seriously between their members of staff and they deal with them appropriately that to me is the only question here and the only answer and it's important that the BBC as much as the pressure they're getting elsewhere it's important that the BBC doesn't get swayed by the court of public opinion and they do this as the same, in the same way that if it was a producer, physically violent maybe a bit strong, we don't know actually the, the, the Extent of it, but a producer being physically assaulting a junior member of staff, or even if it was somebody that doesn't work in production, and it's you know one of the receptionists and one of the security guards having a fracas. You know we need to make sure that they're all they're all dealt with proportionately and and they're all taken seriously.
0: Okay, staying with the broadcaster a little longer, the BBC Trust chair Rona Fairhead has had a difficult week. She first hit the headlines after declaring that the trust should be abolished effectively calling for her own sacking. Uh, And then just to help her out, uh, the Public Account Select Committee Chair Margaret Hodge also called for her to quit uh, over her links to HSBC during their recent scandals. Maggie, what do you make of all this? The BBC Trust, is it in a bit of a a mess, or actually is is she... I
2: think that she's absolutely right. I actually thought that her speech that she made to the the Oxford Media Convention on the 4th of March, in which she said really uh, I mean, she was not trying to defend the indefensible anymore, because the BBC Trust has failed, or it's failed by about 70%, I would say. And so, as the chairman, she was saying that you couldn't defend the indefensible, that there were these flaws in it, which of course stem from the fact that you have this divided responsibility, you have a strong executive board doing one thing you have a trust that's sort of over there and partly regulating but still partly associated with the BBC and it really hasn't worked what's more, what, what, what really is the problem with the BBC and this is where Rona should have been good but now of course I I would say she's completely damaged goods is that the trust is supposed to be safeguarding the licence fee the licence fee payer so it is the the custodian really of that £3.6 that gets handed over to be spent on BBC services on our behalf and we all know that there have been this a series of what you might call quite serious blunders with large sums of money, not just the digital media initiative, but if you go back to 2008, to BBC Jam, the education proposal, which was an online thing for for schoolchildren, which was just pulled by the Trust. Another £100 million just written off. Now, I can say this with some knowledge because I was actually one of the witnesses to the inquiry that was chaired by Lord Burns back in 2004 when there was this debate about how the governor should be replaced and at that time I thought the BBC deserved another chance, it shouldn't be just handed over to a public service broadcasting commission or something external this internal kind of trust ought to be given a chance but I have to say I was wrong, it hasn't worked, she is saying what I think is sensible but the problem now is that she was appointed before the HSBC scandal in its full mm. horror broke. I, but she's damaged goods.
0: But do you accept what Margaret Hodge says, which that means, therefore, she's sort of incompetent to run the BBC Trust?
2: Well, I think it just puts a big question mark about how astute she is. I mean, what Hodge actually said was you're either completely incompetent or you knew about it. I actually like the Times uh, sketch writer Anne Treneman's uh, point, and she said there seemed to be no draw called common sense in her approach to HSBC and when you hear that from somebody who is getting after half a million pounds for doing what you assume to be a non-executive watchdog role on the board of a bank then you have to say if she can't get that right is she going to be a good custodian of BBC funds in the future and I'm afraid the, the answer has to be, well, maybe not.
0: For us, looking at the actual proposal that Rona Furhead is suggesting, uh, which is that there is an external regulator for the BBC, but it's one that is uh, bespoke, she said, you know, one that is designed specifically just to do that job. Why do you think it is no one is suggesting that Ofcom should do that? Surely Ofcom's the right solution, isn't it? You
3: know, I've, I've been thinking about this recently as well, because the thing for me is. It's about the public. The, the public should feel like they own the BBC and and the BBC Trust, as Maggie points out rightly points out, is they are the custodians of the licence fee which the public pay for and it's, it really, it's really important that the public feel like they have a relationship with the BBC and it's theirs. And it's, I think that if you do an index of how close the public feel towards the NHS and how close they feel towards the BBC and we need to make sure that those institutions feel like they are owned by the people. Now, I've been thinking about what happens when something goes wrong and there's been lots of gags made about how TV remotes should now have an Ofcom button, that every time you see something that you don't like you press Ofcom and you complain to them and I think that the public have been quite well educated in the idea that Ofcom exists and if they see something on screen that they don't like then it's almost like they are the people that you go complain to. I'm not sure that the BBC Trust has done that good of an education as to, as to what they are for and the fact that they are there to represent the people. I think part of the problem of that is that they've got BBC in the title and so it feels like they are a, a quang of the BBC rather than something that represents the people. And that needs to be sorted out. If Ofcom have done a good job and they they feel like they are representing the BBC, then that may be something that we look at. The the problem we have with that is this whole sense of, therefore, where does the licence fee go? And if if Ofcom are then looking after the licence fee, should they be looking at how they split that up between other broadcasters along the way? You know, We have lots of political issues that we have to deal with. But the real issue for me comes down to How can we create an organisation that the people feel like they can own and they feel like they can help shape the service that they effectively pay for?
2: I would have been completely opposed to Ofcom back in 2004-2005 because it had to prove itself. And also it was, in a way, a very aggressive and interventionist, I thought unduly interventionist regulator. My worry now is that Ofcom has so much to do because it also has been given the duty of regulating the postal services, for example, and it also, um, as we know, has many other duties to do with Spectrum. Well, that's so much to do, but if you gave it the money from the BBC yes, Trust, then it would I, have more money to well, do it with, I, What I actually think is that uh, Ofcom has really earned its spurs and I'm, I'm surprised at how well it has operated. And remember, too, that the r- responsibilities for areas of complaint are split. I mean, Ofcom has some of the areas of, of, of concern. The BBC Trust is, is the guardian of the impartiality areas. So it's, this is another problem where, uh, if you like, if, for the public, it's very confusing. Where do you complain? So there is a case for clarity, and uh, a beefed-up division of Ofcom might do it. The other aspect of this, though, is that it pains me to say this, but, I mean, it has to be said... The National Audit Office, whether you love them or hate them, and I know people at the BBC absolutely loathe them, have actually exposed an awful lot of things which have gone wrong in the way the BBC has been handling money and wasting money more in particular. And so there is another argument that you might give the National Audit Office the right to sort of launch investigations or, or look at, uh, at aspects of BBC spending that is worrying it, whereas at the moment it is, it is restrained in, in where it can go. So that I, And I don't like saying this, but you cannot have a situation where, if you believe the BBC is a great broadcaster, which I do, that money is being wasted and that it keeps being dragged into disrepute.
0: It does pain her to say it. I can see it. I'm telling you, listeners, in all sincerity, there was a real earnestness across her face during that whole uh, conversation. Genuine pain.
2: It's because I love the BBC and 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 it pains me. That's
0: all. I'd get a T-shirt with that written on. I love the BBC, but it pains me. Uh, Okay, we'll have more
1: stories after this. This episode of The Media Podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace provides everything you need to build and host a beautiful looking website without downloading any software. Whether it's for marketing a new show, selling your back catalogue or hosting podcasts, Squarespace has a solution for you. And if you have some great photography at your disposal, Squarespace has designs that will give your site a modern look. And if you need photos, Squarespace gives you access to Getty Images' huge library of pictures. Plans start at $8 a month and includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year. For a free trial with no credit card required, head to squarespace.com now. And you get 10% off a monthly or annual plan by using the code MEDIAPOD at the checkout. Now, just as the Clarkson
0: affair was breaking, most of Fleet Street were on their way to the British Press Awards. Maggie, who were the big winners? Who were the also-rans?
2: this is a very interesting set of awards because the Times has come out really on top, not only was it Newspaper of the Year but it had the, the Reporter of the Year and Andrew Norfolk for his exposure of abuse of, of, of girls in Rotherham but actually it's, a, it's more than that it, he's been campaigning on this or, or reporting on this, as the Chief Investigative Journalist on the Times since uh, I would say 12 years ago and he was a lonely, lonely figure based in Leeds uh, from a great deal of that time when people were not actually right that the truth was that the majority of the people abusing these girls were of Asian or certain extraction. I thought it was absolutely right that he was crowned. The other person who was also uh, a winner was Anthony Lloyd, the foreign correspondent who was betrayed and beaten up and nearly well he could have died with his photographer in Syria last year who has a very very brave and distinguished track record so my heart really lifted two proper journalists enterprising and tough who uh, have walked away with these top awards so good for the times and I think also its sales are going up
0: Yeah, which seems extraordinary doesn't it that you know it Mm. it is a paper with a paywall and yet its sales are going up it appears to be working for them for us yes
3: Yeah, I think that obviously the, the press are going for a fascinating period right now. We've, we've been speaking a lot, almost like radio, we've been speaking a lot about kind of what's going on there and, you know, are, are they going to start shutting down more papers? Uh, you know, I heard lots of rumours last year that we should be losing two newspapers. That, that doesn't seem to have happened apart from obviously what happened with the news of the world. I guess things have kind of steadied down a little bit. and Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. You know we, we may be seeing a, a point where where the the free fall that we saw in previous years may actually be bottoming out now and and things to seem you know we're, we're getting to a point where we can start looking to see if this is the point where you know where people are gonna buy papers and, and people who don't want to buy papers will go online and and now we're in a happy place with Where people want to read their media.
2: I mean, I have a real problem with that argument, which is that the papers are still there, but there are hardly any journalists on quite a lot. Well, this is the whole of the Telegraph row, for example. You know, over what's going on in terms of uh, reporting. Yeah. I mean, I
3: was, was, funnily enough, I was listening to the media podcast a few weeks ago when you did your special, and there was a really interesting report with. um, the Mirror was had so many journalists back in the day, and now there's uh, there's hardly any that are there, and it's just not able to do as much journalism as it as it was previously. There's also this kind of black cloud about what's happening at the Telegraph as well, and and all the stories around their reporting of the HSBC crisis, which I, I think is probably the thing that's dominated kind of the press about the press, bigger than than, than these awards, which is always a shame because I would much rather be in a position where we could celebrate people doing good work rather than criticise them for doing bad work.
0: You mentioned the Mirror, though. I mean, actually, they did win the Digital Award. Slightly awkward that it was the same week, of course, that they were in court uh, admitting to phone hacking. Uh, But they did win the Digital Award. And actually, I think, in terms of the Daily Mirror as it is now, uh, very well-deserved, actually. They're innovating the way that they blog about news stories. I'm in at LBC at 11pm at night looking at news stories as they develop, and the Mirror are always on it, and they know how to do things in a viral way that it shows that you can go from being a real also round when it yeah, comes to the I, digital I, space and suddenly beat The Guardian I, in that category. No, I,
2: really, I really admire the mirror. I mean, I take it every morning and uh, it's got a real gutsy, punchy feel to it. It's just a shame that it's now being completely overhung by appalling uh, phone hacking uh, allegations as the trials uh, continue. It has really rocked my... Faith in the brand, but at the moment it does actually you see it has a point of view, it knows where it stands and it goes for things and that gives it a spirit which is really important in newspapers.
0: Okay, something completely different now. The social network Snapchat, they've been valued at fifteen billion dollars after a proposed investment by the Chinese e-commerce site Alibaba. This comes a month after the mobile app announced a string of new content providers would be promoted using its new Discover feature, uh, including National Geographic and Vice. I've been seeing the ads on Sky News with Eamon Holmes pretending to understand what Snapchat is, which is quite amusing. Uh, Faraz, you make things for young people. Uh, what <laughs> not, makes not Snap- Snapchat. So I want to be very clear <laughs> that I'm not making things. Of- <laughs> no snaps going from what my account I, to young people. What is it? I don't know what okay, so is. Explain to Maggie what Snapchat is and then explain <laughs> to the <laughs> listeners who know what Snapchat is why it's so appealing to the under 25. Is this buzzword inf- inferior?
3: Is that right? Am I pronouncing that right? Im- inferior. Inferior? Go Inferial? on. Inferior? I think that's right. No, it's so it, what it is, is it, it's, it's a service. <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm explaining what the youth are up to yeah. these days, but it's effectively Good. what Snapchat is, is it allows you to send timed messages, both videos, text and photos um, that effectively disappear after a set time period. It's used a lot by the kids and the millennials and the, the teenagers, but it's, its rise success has been phenomenal. There's, there's no doubting it. And obviously they've had the attention of Facebook, they've had the attention of, of now Alibaba and, and they've done some some really interesting things in that space the the history of the company and why it was started and and what has been used for in the past has obviously got some question marks over it but they seem to have ridden that storm
0: out and there there is i think well, it's, they've ridden that storm out but let's be clear it's still a place where there's a lot of sexually explicit content being shared isn't I, it i wouldn't know well I, i'm not opening your snaps i, I know as and much as you keep to asking that to- <laughs> <me> to- <laughs> is that is a, that is a yeah, question about no, it
3: no 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 all joking aside there's, there's no doubt that the popularity of the service came came down to this phenomenon of sexting. You know, you open a you open a picture, it only appears for a certain amount of time. This is where the the kind of crisis around what kids are pictures are sending each other and mm. what it was doing, and and it was all part of that story. The, well, I've I think heard
2: of that. now you've explained it all, but it disappears after a certain time. C- yes, it disappears right, after right, a certain time. You, you can only
3: kind of hold it down, and you can see the photo, right. and the video, uh, or the the text for for a limited amount of time, and then it disappears.
2: Well, Gina, you know, I'm so pleased because I've got all these children under 25 and they're obviously not using it because I haven't heard about it, so this is yeah, great. I rely on them to sort me out. It's not you know? how it works, mate. It's not something you necessarily <laughs> right. tell your parents you're using, you see.
0: That's, the again, the secret of success I fear.
2: I'm going to interrogate them. Uh,
0: but bearing in mind that is one of the concerns about it, is it a surprise that these big corporations, you know, Sky News, National Geographic, want to be involved in it on a corporate level, lending their brand to something that is, you <laughs> if, know, if slightly you, uh, naughty? Uh,
3: in, in, particularly in the US, uh, I'm, I'm interested to know what the figures are like outside of the US, but particularly in the US, if you go and speak to people under the age of 21 about what social network that they use is two of them Instagram, Snapchat that's it Mm. they're not using Facebook anymore they're not using MySpace or Friendster or any of those those guys anymore the the two that they're using is Instagram and Snapchat that's how they're talking to each other that's where the conversation lives and wherever the conversation lives that's where the value is now if Vice or the Food Network or Sky News can get into that place where young people are chatting to each other that has value and Snapchat are doing a good job of leveraging that but what is really interesting is is what i would argue is a bigger picture around this there were lots of question marks asked around how these websites were going to make money and what we're seeing is people going lots of different ways Tinder have now started doing a subscription based service which I think is hilarious where I think if you're over the age of 28 you have to pay, whereas if you're under the age of 28 it's free or something mad like that which I think is, is Which
2: divide are you on?
3: I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not on Tinder I'm a married man um, <laughs> But uh, the, uh, I, I think that there's a um, uh, they're, they're, doing, they're obviously going down the paid route Snapchat done a good job of making content deals with people, and I'm sure they're getting paid handsomely for that. Facebook has gone into this weird advertising world where every second post you see is an advert, and we're now starting to see how all of those sites are going to monetize themselves and get to these crazy figures of... Was 15 billion we're looking at for Snapchat mm. now? I mean, it's just eye-watering. But if they can... if they, Like I said, if they can own and be in the conversation
0: where young people are, that has immense value. And you do want to be a part of that conversation when you are making the content that you are making Professionally, never mind your personal Snapchat uh, <laughs> digressions. Doing that means making a video in portrait mode, doesn't it? Because Snapchat won't let you reversion something that's landscape. Do you have to think about that when you're yeah, out on so a shoot?
3: It, so we've we've done a few pieces around um, around making video for social media, and one of the challenges that we had in some of the work that we did last year was making square videos. And we've just gone over that got, got over that challenge where suddenly you shoot something and you just do it normally in sixteen by nine. And in fact, we've we've only. I would argue fairly recently, got to 16 by 9. Everyone's happy about that. And now we're getting into a situation where we have to reframe everything for square portraits. And now Snapchat, much to the, to the frustration to purists like me, have got to a situation where they want video in portrait. Now, actually, the, the, the joke you made about Eamon Holmes is I actually think is really interesting. Because that's one of the things where when you see it framed, where you have that full length body of Eamon, actually it's, it, it looks quite good. Um, and <laughs> it'll be delighted. It <laughs> well, does have Eamon, a very Eamon good Eamon tailor. Always, always looks great. But actually, <laughs> but, but actually, what, what's what's quite nice about it is is that kind of webcam FaceTime personality about you feel like you've got that person and they're talking to you, which actually I think is is feels more intimate than, than that landscape you're watching telly or you're watching video. So there is there is something in it psychologically, and I think that if they can make that work, yes, unfortunately, companies like mine will start
0: having to making videos in portrait. I'm sure we'll find some nice tricks about it along the way. But it is that thing, isn't it? I I mean, uh, Maggie, you've made clear we're not—we unfortunately cannot find you on Snapchat. But uh, if you were running Instagram, though, if you were running, you know, a a broadcasting. A network or a production company now do you think it, it is almost unfair on these companies they do have to now think about making a vine you know making a youtube video uh making uh, some sort of online content that you can access through something like iplayer perhaps in addition to the main product perhaps a podcast as well something on audio boom now you've got a snapchat too you've got to communicate to the audience on facebook and twitter and all of that is not even the program they're making it's all additional content around the program
2: Yes, well, it's exhausting. I mean, I don't know how anybody gets to sleep. I mean, but on the other hand, it's marketing, isn't it? I mean, people used to spend an awful lot of effort on uh, other types, posters and goodness knows what else. So it is a form of marketing. And once you've, I imagine, once you've got your formats, you can surely do it fairly rapidly, can't you?
3: And I think also it comes down to, to programs becoming brands. Right. And I think that once you start seeing things like The X Factor and House of Cards and all of those, all of those programs which feel like and Top Gear is one of them where they feel like they're bigger than the channel they're, they're bigger than the actual single TV show TV is still the best in case example of creating a brand but once you've done that if you can exploit it in lots of different spaces then I think that's a good thing because the best brands will
0: travel with you wherever you are Have Brand will Travel, like it. Okay, moving on to radio now. We spoke about the proposals for a second digital multiplex last month, and since then we've seen some feisty behaviour from both Sound Digital, the consortium headed by Bauer and UTV, and Listen to Digital, which the Midlands-based radio group Orion Media are behind. Uh, Maggie, what have you made of the bids so far? Because it's the first time you've been on the pod since we heard about the two organisations vying for it?
2: Well, I mean, basically I think it's a good idea that there is competition and I also think it shows, surely, that this is the second commercial uh, uh, multiplex, that digital radio is coming to life. Uh, which, whoever wins, there's going to be scope for 18 or so new, new stations. Um, I've looked at the list, they're all kind of interesting, different, niche, uh, there's been this terrible, terrible problem with uh, the development of, of digital radio. We still are not at the point. Remember, 2015 was the point when maybe there could have been the switch off. I know. Yes, ridiculous, it, isn't it? You had to be at 50%. You had to have 90% coverage yeah. of the UK. That hasn't happened. But and you know we're, maybe we're at nearly 40%. But it's not. It suddenly seems to have stalled a bit. You've also got this weird situation that everything that's happened has benefited, it would seem, the BBC's share of radio listening, while commercial radio has declined to 42%. I mean, it's just an amazing situation to be in. And you've got this quasi-networking going on in, in commercial radio that in many ways is, in my opinion anyway, stifling off originality and all the rest of it. So this is maybe a chance, a second chance a third chance you might say for commercial radio to get into a game not necessarily with the BBC because they have to be more niche, they have to be more commercial they have to know who they're targeting but it does give them the chance of getting national coverage. The big problem of course is that we still have digital audio broadcasting which is 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 kind of compromised. It doesn't have the coverage. It still hasn't got the the kind of the motorways all, all sewn up, and the cars. Okay, half of new cars get. A, a DAB radio, but half don't. I mean, it's, it's, it's a bit of a still halfway house, but it, it's, it's getting there.
0: Except that kind of goes back to what you were just saying for us about branding, doesn't it? I mean, in a way, if you've got a platform like DAB that you can show people a brand, then they could be engaging with it actually on their phone. They could be engaging with it in the form of downloads. They don't actually have to be listening to the station for that brand to then be successful. I,
3: if I'm going to be completely honest, I think we're all a little surprised that, that DAB has actually continued to be part of the media diet all the way up to this stage. Like, like Maggie was saying, There was a doomsday scenario that it was going to be, you know, analog was going to be switched off, and then people saying that DAB is never going to work because internet radio is coming along, and that's going to be the end of that. And then satellite radio, you know, DAB has has done a fairly good job of still sticking around to this time. I must say, I'm I'm surprised that. What we've not seen is more innovation around planning your radio, where you can record radio shows as they come out, and that's and true. we can we can put those into cars, and uh, you have like a a little bit like how Sky have pioneered the way in, in that space, mm-hmm. where you, where you actually you can create your own bespoke radio station and and take shows along the way. Where we have seen innovation in that is in the podcasting scene, obviously <laughs> that's part of the reason why we're here. But you know the success of Serial breaking that that into the mainstream, I think is going to people are going to start looking at, at radio and Different DAB ways, and and yes. how. They're going to listen to stuff. And, and I
2: find it so strange, too, that, you know, the top digital radio stations are owned by the BBC or run yeah. by the BBC. Well,
0: a good example of that was only last weekend, of course, when uh, BBC Radio 2 did their pop-up country station. Uh, we're still seeing the figures coming in uh, on that, but quite encouraging numbers. 107,000 requests for audio just online so far. And that's an example of a niche, isn't it? Country music, which is part of one of the digital bids, actually, that clearly there is an, a niche audience out there wanting to engage with. Yet at the moment, it's the BBC doing it. Well, here's here's an idea for any any DAB people out there.
3: Why don't we just keep one station free for brands? So we have pop up the pop up French Connection radio station, pop up um, All Saints radio station, and get them to pay you know a, a, a nice good slice of the of, of the DAB pie, and and allow the whole whole price of entering the market and, and the spectrum come down. I, I'm sure that there's so many brands out there that would love to have a big PR campaign for a month where they've launched their own radio station, mm. and then we can kind of start seeing if we can push
0: more commercial. But we need to see innovation in that space. Yeah, but I, I don't think Tony Blackburn would do a pop up show on the French Connection uh, radio station, <laughs> which I think is a Shame, let Still me just say. Uh, Blackburn did a great joke on Radio 2 Country about uh, Shania Twain's brother Choo Choo. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, that is it for this week's show, except, oh, hold on, what's this? Oh it's no. our media quiz. Oh no. Yeah, that's right. Uh, this week it is entitled, <laughs> it's, it's the moment we all look forward to, uh, This, particularly when Maggie's here, like, genuine it. tortured expression. Uh, this week it is entitled, You Do The Math. I'll give you a complex media equation, and after quantifying the variables, you tell me the answer. Uh, The winner gets to switch on the Large Hadron Collider, the loser (laughs) heads the Clarkson Inquiry. Uh, Right, equation number one. Buzz in with your names when you know the answer. Minus P3 plus 50 days equals...
3: Oh, is it something about the sun? Yes. Is it, oh, uh, Faraz, it's something about oh, no, the sun. Oh, no three. So there's, but then plus 50 days.
2: The sales have gone down.
3: Oh, there you go. Can we we'll share a point and a half each? Yeah, oh, dear. I'll no. we'll get Clarkson to, start, to start open the large Okay, Climber. I'm going
0: to have to make an executive decision <laughs> on this. Faraz buzzed in first, and he was sort of right, so he gets the point. Um, uh, although, right. the actual story I was looking for is that Alex Spence, the uh, Times oh, media yes, editor, has left.
2: Man. Yes, you're absolutely right. I forgot. Yes. Uh, he was nice. the reporter
0: revealed page three was to end. Yes. And it has now been 50 days since it was last in the sun, Indeed. but, you know, he had and the slight embarrassment of the fact it was YouTube. The
2: story was buried on page two, but everybody thought it must be true. And they followed it. And then, of course, it was kind of true because the pastry came back, but then it has disappeared. And he's a very good journalist as well.
0: He'll uh, probably find a job somewhere else, won't he?
2: Well, these are tough times. Yeah, not here,
0: though. This is mine. Right. <laughs> uh, equation number two. 830 minus 392 equals... Uh, I'll give you the answer. It's, it's 438. But why is that equation relevant? 438 is the amount of votes that someone received. Is, is, is it in the? can in the Voice. It's too early for voting in the Voice. It's not. Although you didn't say Ferraz, so that doesn't matter. Okay. Maggie, why don't you say Maggie and then say the Guardian staff's poll?
2: Oh, this is now um, you've got to say Maggie. Uh, Maggie. Um, <laughs> this is um, Kath Viner who came top of the the votes cast for the next editor of the Guardian. But these were votes cast by the people eligible to vote on the staff and all the rest of it. And so she beat Janine Gibson, who was um, a former media editor of The Guardian, and um, she beat Wolfgang uh, Blau, Blau who te- uh, runs the technology side, including the reorganisation of the websites. And, and was there another Emily person Bell. Emily Bell and in fact I, yeah.
0: only in the last episode of the media yeah. podcast I, I confidently predicted that Viner and Bell were the two best candidates based on their CVs and hey presto yes, no, no, top v- two votes I Viner voted, and Bell
2: I voted in I can't Call say which I voted but I mean the, the, it's, it is a, a very interesting moment because God knows what happens next there's so many people who have applied from outside of, of the Guardian
0: If you were to put your money somewhere, would it be on Kath Viner being the next editor-in-chief, though? Do you
2: know, I just don't know. She's a woman, she's got great experience, she's got charisma, Um, she's got guardian values, you know, stitched into her. I just don't know what they're looking for.
0: Okay. and equation number three, This, despite the very lame participation from both of you today, is the (laughs) tie-break in a way that isn't at all engineered. Uh, Equation number three. 330 calls divided by 18 telephone extensions equals... What's the story we're referring to?
3: 330 calls, 18 telephone extensions.
0: Who's been making calls this week, or having their calls poured over? We made reference to it before.
2: Oh, it must be the mirror. It is. Uh, it's the Say it's Maggie. The it's, sorry, it's the phone Maggie. hacking. Say Maggie, Maggie, there we Maggie. Go. I'm saying Maggie. Yeah. The phone hacking <laughs> trials of uh, mirror journalists who were besieging oh, all sorts of celebrities. It was yeah. pretty In- good memory.
0: Including Alan Yentob, who's being represented by the barrister David Sherborne. He came up with the phrase industrial-scale phone hacking uh, yeah. and claiming yeah. damages against Trinity yeah. Mirror. Do you think there's going to be any long-term damage for the Mirror, actually, Maggie? You said that you've been put off the brand, but do you think the public will be?
2: Well, I mean, the, the problem is really that we, these are kind of the after-ran trials because all of these sort of attention was focused, really, on the news of the world and the sun. So it's kind of Uh, there's a kind of boredom factor that's set in, despite the fact that there's such massive celebrities involved.
0: Right, well, what a what a triumph! What a triumph, Maggie! What a wet fart of a triumph! You have won the quiz this week.
2: <laughs> That's the first.
0: You will know, uh, be back. You, yes, indeed. Yeah, to defend your title so robustly. Uh, that is it for today. My thanks to Maggie Brown and to Faraz Osman. Thank you. Uh, next week we will be taking you to Milan for Radio Days Europe. Don't say we don't spoil you. Uh, remember, you can hear new episodes as soon as they're ready by subscribing at TheMediaPodcast.com. dot uh, We are also on Twitter at the. Media. Media podcast or you can like our page on facebook today's show is dedicated to john kroll a journalism professor blogging at john and to stephen shandor a massive anglophile in pittsburgh surviving on the guardian app podcasts and a vpn connection to uk television uh, i've been ollie mann the producer matt hill until next time bye bye
3: wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com So, Retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History?
2: Well, on Monday, it's the anniversary of kids' classic, The Very Hungry Caterpillar.
0: On Tuesday, how Roquefort became the cheese of kings. On Wednesday, we meet the Jobs and Wozniak... Of the 1800s.
2: On Thursday, the history of the YMCA, from the City of London to the village people.
0: And on Friday, the edgy musical that made Greece the word. We discuss this and more on Today in History with the Retrospectors. Ten minutes each weekday, wherever you get your podcasts.